We're three weeks into our sermon series called In Chicago As It Is in Heaven. And in this series, we're seeking the city to come, restoring our vision for heaven. And then we're learning how to pray for God's kingdom, God's heavenly kingdom, to be done here on earth, here in Chicago. The first week we looked at how heaven is a forgiven city, how everyone in heaven has been forgiven and has also forgiven sins and grievances that they hold. That's a prerequisite for entering the heavenly city. And what a, you know, just a joy and a freedom that would be to have a city full of people who are themselves recipients of mercy and who have themselves been able to forgive all sins against them. Second week, we looked, last week we looked at how heaven is a personally intimate city, that uh, there's nothing holding back the fullness of intimacy. Uh, there's nothing false or incomplete about the intimacy in heaven. We can actually participate in that now here in Chicago. And this week, we're going to look, look at how heaven is a liturgical city. Heaven is a liturgical city. What is liturgy? What does it mean to be liturgical? Well, liturgy, as we'll define it this morning, is an activity of the body that shapes the soul. Liturgy, liturgy is an activity that you do with your body, and it shapes your whole being, your whole self. It's an activity of the body that's really beyond the body. It's really about your whole life. You participate using your voice, your limbs, your eyes, your ears, and every part of the brain. Um, let's take an example, uh, a liturgy that many people are participating even now, even in our neighborhood of Uptown or all over our city of Chicago. Brunch. <laughs> let's consider the activity of the body. Well, you show up for brunch. And then they're like, the wait will be an hour and a half. And you're like, it's worth it. <laughs> you know, for pancakes, but whatever. And it's... And so, and so they're like, you get your name, and maybe they, they get your pager. Um, you give, they give you a pager, and then you, seriously, you wait. And part of the liturgical action is just waiting and talking and being hungry and like looking over and giving people dirty glances as they seem to waltz on by and get right to a table. And then finally, they call your name. And there's a moment of joy as they call your name, and, and they're seated down, and the, table, or the, the cups are, are turned over on the table, and the coffee is poured, and you smile. You drink the coffee, and then you go through the liturgy of agonizing over what to order on the menu, salty or sweet. <laughs> Do I have to choose? Probably not. <laughs> so you get cinnamon pancakes or French toast or something with bacon on the side and extra crispy please, and, um, and, and they pour more coffee. And, and then you're going, to, and, and then a process, you're becoming closer to the person that you're with. In the process, you become, you become full, you become satisfied, something happens to your body. And in, in the process, you're taught to wait, aren't you? You're taught to wait for food that's good. You're like, I'm not going to fast food, I'm going to brunch food. And I'm the type of creature now who desires brunch food in a way I didn't before. Okay? Brunch is a liturgy, and it shapes us, doesn't it? You know what else shapes us here in Chicago? Just randomly, the Lake Michigan Polar Bear Club. 
All right, you know what this is? This is in the winter when people dive into Lake Michigan to just prove how awesome they are. And, you know, Jimmy Fallon will come to Chicago and jump in the Lake Michigan, and people will join him. It's a liturgical act. Shapes us to becoming more brave and stupid at the same time. <laughs> or parents, dropping your kids off at school. That's a liturgical act. You walk your kids to school, involves your whole body. You put their backpacks on them, you give them a kiss, you wave goodbye, they walk in. You waltz home, you skip home. <laughs> and it shapes you in the process, doesn't it? It shapes you and your kids to have a measure of independence that you didn't have before they started school. And it connects you with other parents in the process. We are liturgical creatures. And all of our week and every day that we go about our life, um, we turn to liturgy to be shaped. Here's a proof of that. When you're bored, what do you do? When you're understimulated, when you're underengaged, you turn to liturgy. We turn to liturgy, an activity of the body that shapes your soul. Because we're, we're under-participating when we're bored. We need a way to engage. There are liturgies in our life that stimulate the body but deaden the soul in the process. Liturgies that, that deaden us even as they stimulate us. One very common example is just the use of pornography. It provides an instant stimulation and excitement, it, engaging both brain and body, but at the same time, it deadens our capacity to feel, it deadens our capacity to connect. Same thing with... Uh, abuse of alcohol or other substances, other medications. It brings kind of an immediate relief, an immediate pleasure, it involves our whole body. But the more we abuse it, the faster the rewards seem to diminish. We need more and more to get the same impact, and along the way, something inside us dies. Any compulsive or habit-forming, addiction-forming liturgies help us feel something kind of immediately uh, but then over time tend to deaden the soul in the long term. Gambling, compulsive shopping, overeating, self-harm like cutting. It, it, in, in the immediate sense, it's like, oh, I feel alive right now. I feel maybe even in control. But in the process, something dies. So what liturgies do you turn to when you're bored? Because when you're bored, your body and your soul are craving liturgy. Do they stimulate the body but leave you isolated and anxious? Have they reduced at all capacity to love, to be connected, to feel? Do you need your soul revived and restored after the liturgies of this past week? If so, I want to offer you a gracious invitation for your soul to be restored through the life-giving liturgy of the heavenly city that you are a part of even now. That invitation is for every person here, no matter what kind of liturgies have shaped you in this last week. Because the liturgy that we're a part of here is a part of the heavenly liturgy, and it is the most exciting, the most beautiful, the most awe-inspiring gathering that you have experienced to date. This liturgy the liturgy of heaven that we're going to look at this morning and participate in this morning combines the terror of mountain climbing, the pageantry of a wedding, 
The beauty of a concert, the thrill of a first date, and the joy of a World Series victory, and then some. This liturgy involves our whole selves, our whole body, both hemispheres of the brain. And it is the exact opposite of boring. And we're in the process of being retrained so that it's not boring to us anymore. Heaven's liturgy shapes us to love again. Heaven's liturgy resurrects the, the parts of us that have died. Heaven's liturgy restores our soul in the most complete way possible. Right now, the heavenly liturgy is taking part in heaven. It's taking place. Angels and archangels are participating, as are the patriarchs and the apostles, and countless millions of people who have gone before us, who have finished their journey, who have finished their pilgrimage, who have endured through suffering and have made it to the heavenly city. They are celebrating and they are satisfied in the goodness and beauty of God. The more they worship him, the more they shine like stars in the universe. They are completely satisfied. There is more beauty than they can take in. Not only is this liturgy taking place in heaven, it's taking place right here in Chicago. Right here in this kiva, God has provided for us to gather. We are part of the visible kingdom, the tangible kingdom here on earth. We're joined with saints around the world and those in heaven. And as we, as we join the heavenly liturgy, we're preparing ourselves and our city for the day when Chicago will be filled with the worship of the living God. We are joined now in an activity of the body that shapes our soul. And it's also an activity of the body of Christ that shapes our collective soul and also shapes our city. That's what you're doing this morning when you gather here and you participate in the worship of heaven. So let's see the liturgy that we've made because otherwise we're going to give our lives to false liturgies that will shape us in false ways. We're going to observe three distinct activities of the body that take place in heaven, all of which are reflected here in our liturgy this morning at Emmanuel. And those activities are looking up, bowing down, and singing a new song. Looking up to the glory of God, bowing down in humility, and through Jesus, singing a new song with all joy and creativity. I invite you to turn to Revelation 4 as we look at the first act of the liturgy of heaven, which is looking up and seeing God in all his glory. Verse 1 of Revelation 4, John writes this, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what might take place after this. Now, John, the author of our text, is being given an experience of heaven. He's invited to come up to something. He's invited to come up and witness something that's happening. He's invited, something is revealed to John. Reality is shown to him. And somehow he was able to find words to record what happened so that he could show us what he saw. Verse 2, at once I was in the Spirit meaning that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in a special way that helped him see the kingdom of God. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. 
the center of heaven, the center of all reality, is God upon his throne. This first throne that we see here belongs to the Father, who rules over a loving and gracious kingdom that includes both heaven and the parts of earth that are submitted to him. Now, based on the descriptions that, the, that John and also other authors of Scripture give, the throne room of God is massive, and it is pulsating with energy. We, we might even imagine Chicago's loop. No, no skyscrapers are in the loop. It's just the throne of God. It's just the throne room of God with pillars the size of the skyscrapers. And it is the pulsating center of heaven's energy and beauty and delight. It's like a God's throne room, as John describes it, is like an awesome magnet. It's a power that draws in people who never want to look away, who never want to leave the throne room. And something about the character of God impressed John. And he captures it through some creative imagery that actually connects us with the whole story of what God has been doing in history all along. He says in verse 3, He who sat there on the throne had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Now what we see here are, are little bits, little representative, the best parts of creation that are going to make it into what we're calling new creation. God's new project, God's renewal. The first part of new creation was Jesus when he was resurrected from the dead, and he's calling all of us to join him in new creation. And with us comes redeemed creation, creatures and animals and, and stones and rainbows, things that represent God's goodness and beauty and mercy and justice, all the best parts of creation, the little glimmers and tastes of heaven that we experience right here on earth will make it into the new creation. And God the Father on his throne is already ruling in the new creation. He's already ordaining events so that they all fit together in his goodness and mercy in the new creation. John is getting a vision of hope as he looks to the Father. The Father's good, the Father's powerful, and the Father is reigning over something delightful and beautiful, something that John never wants to and we won't ever want to leave. And the Father has not only gathered the bits of new creation that belong to his kingdom, he's invited the people who belong to that new creation as well. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones. Now imagine you have a massive throne held up in a massive room with massive pillars, and around the throne are 24 symbols of authority, 24 thrones occupied by human beings who represent both the invisible and the visible church. Some scholars think that this is a kind of a double 12, kind of 12, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles all gathered around Old and New Testament, ancient and new representatives of people who have said yes to God, who have gone on a pilgrimage, who, who with Abraham have said, I will go to a country I have not seen. I will walk by faith and not by sight. I will suffer and I will trust. And they are there. They are surrounding the thrones. The Lord God has, has properly exalted them at the proper time. 
He's given them crowns, and he's given them authority, and he's given them access to his throne. We're there, friends. We might be here in the Kiva, but if you are in Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God, and you are represented around the throne, even now in heaven. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, verse 6, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Now imagine Lake Michigan completely calm before the throne. Completely clear. You could see all the way down to the bottom of Lake Michigan. Pure. There was no contaminants in Lake Michigan. It was the most beautiful, peaceful, calm waters you've ever laid your eyes on. This, uh, many scholars believe, is, a, is, a, is uh, a symbol of baptism, of what the Lord has done for us. He's taken the Red Sea, which was the symbol of evil and chaos and death, and he's turned it into a baptismal font, which um, makes us, washes us clean, and makes us sons and daughters of the Most High. And it's still, there's no competition. There's no more evil in heaven. The Lord God through Christ has conquered and we need not fear sin or death. There's a sea like crystal, like glass before the throne. And John looks up at the throne. John looks up at the glory of the Father. What if we were able to join John this morning? to be in the Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to look up with our imaginations and to join our voices and look upon the Lord who is merciful and beautiful, who has joined us in new creation, and say together, how great is our God. You are great, O oh God. You're the most beautiful vision I've seen all week. I may have looked at many things this week, I may have gazed in the wrong ways this week, but I, when I look up at you, my vision is healed because you are holy, you are good. The first act of liturgy is to look up at God and say, great are you, Lord. This is an activity of the imagination that shapes the soul. We do this every Sunday. As we come into the presence of God and we say, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we say, blessed be his kingdom now and forever, amen. We do this every Sunday when uh, we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, as we will in a few minutes. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. We do this every Sunday when we look on the cross and we remember what God has done for us in Christ. When we, when we look upon the meal, when we partake in the meal... We're looking up, we're gazing at God, and we're saying, how great are you, Lord? We're looking up. It's our first liturgical act. And it compels the second liturgical act, which is to bow down. How could we not do anything else but to bow down before the living God? When we see God in his glory, it humbles us, it unites us, when we see God in his power, rightly used, rightly distributed, doing good things, all of a sudden we go, you know what, I'm laying down my power, and I'm laying down my privilege, and I'm laying down my adoration, and all the, all the ways that I, all the petty things in my heart, I'm laying all those things down, and I'm casting it all down before the heavenly throne.
The second half of verse 6 says this, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Verse 7, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature is like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Here we have four creatures, and I know that the description sounds strange and weird. If you haven't had a lot of exposure to the Bible or to the book of Revelation, you might go, what in the world is this? This is just crazy and weird. That's okay to have those feelings and thoughts. Um, what John is doing is he is giving us arresting imagery to help us connect with the reality of heaven. And the reality of heaven is that creation itself, in all of its entirety, is represented in heaven and giving praise to God. In another part of scripture, Romans 8, Paul says that, it, that creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Why? Because creation longs for the day where it too can give glory to God. And it's waiting for us to learn how to do that and to lead creation in doing that. You and I are used to conflict in creation, conflict even between human beings, conflict between human beings and nature, conflict between nature and nature, nature red in tooth and claw, everybody at each other's throats, blood, division, conflict, and here we see something which is amazing, which is a symbol of unity. Everyone, every bits of creation brought together around the magnet and the glory of God's throne, bowing down and giving him glory. There's no conflict, there's only peace. There's no butting of heads. There's no scraping of claws. There's only peace. There's only worship. There's only adoration because all of creation bows down. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. You can see creation is praising the Lord and then the church is praising the Lord. And verse 11, the, the, the church, both visible and invisible, cries out, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and created creatures are humbled before their creator regardless of whether you are a religious person or an irreligious person you and I both long to humble ourselves before a glory that is greater than us we long to give ourselves to a creator whose glory supersedes us and precedes us. It is renewing for the soul to find the right creator to bow ourselves down to. Because if we bow down to the wrong creator, all that creator is going to do is harm us and kill us and put us to death. Here we see creation and the church, both visible and invisible, humbly bowing before the living God and saying, worthy are you to receive honor and glory and blessing. There's no competition for, for attention. There's no dazzling self-love. And as a result, there is no strife and there is no blood. The worthiness of God has humbled everybody. That is the church at her best. When the worthiness and beauty and glory of God humbles and shakes everybody to their core, 
regardless of position, regardless of gender, regardless of people, where people have come from, where everyone is shaken and stirred and brought to their knees by the glory of the living God. And we practice this here every Sunday. We're brought to our knees every Sunday. In the College for Purity at the beginning of the service, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. So if that's true, if God knows all of our thoughts and our hearts and our secrets, what do we need him to do? Cleanse. <laughs> Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name because it is only if we are cleansed that we'll be able to do that. So we need to bow down to the cleansing. It's a natural response. We do it every Sunday when we, when we confess our sins. We say, I've seen a holy God. I've heard scripture read and preached and all of a sudden I'm undone. Like uh, the author, uh, like Isaiah, when he saw the living God, um, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He humbled himself before the living God. And the living God, I loved this image, the living God touched him. The living God cleansed him. When we go to receive the Eucharist, we are saying, I'm humbling myself. I, I need to receive something from God that I do not have. When we, when we go to prayer and confess our sins, we're saying, I need something from God. I'm humbled. I'm not enough in, my, in myself. We say together as the living church, you are God and we're not you. You're God and I'm not, I'm not God. That's actually a relief to say that. It's actually a relief to know that. We're God's people. We're the sheep of his pasture. And we follow him around because we need our shepherd to guide us. We're made to bow down to him together. Don't miss this, my friends. The liturgy of heaven begins with looking up at the glory of God. And then it continues as we with our bodies and souls bow down to him. And there's one more movement. Because of Jesus, there's one more movement in our liturgy. It's a third move. Singing a new song. Singing a new song. You know, there's more than one throne in the throne room of heaven. And I'm not talking about the elders. There's another throne next to the Father's throne. And that second throne belongs to Jesus Christ. In the first part of Revelation 5, which is not printed in your bulletins for a reason, um, just we're not covering that part today, but Jesus is enthroned in the first part of chapter 5. He's given authority. He's given, he's given power. He's given a throne. Because he was the lamb who was slain. He, he, did, he did something he purchased for God from every tribe, tongue, language, and people. Uh, uh, a nation to serve our God, to sing his praises. And when we're around the throne, when we're around the throne of Christ, we cannot help but sing a new song because of what he did for us, because of how he redeemed us. We weren't able to sing this song were it not for Jesus. But then when we see, when we look upon him whom we have pierced, and we see what he's done for our life and our souls and our marriages and our neighborhood and our church. We can only sing a new song. It can't help but come out of us. This song is beautiful and never-ending. It will be the most healing and harmonious 
and stirring song we will ever hear. It will always be a new song. In the beginning of five, as I said, Jesus Christ takes his throne, and the response is listed is shown in verse nine. Let's look together at Revelation five, verse nine. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign over the earth, on the earth. Listen. When they look on Jesus, what they're saying is, the nightmare is over. Sin and death are no more. Jesus took our evil on himself on the cross and removed it forever. And then he was raised to life and started a new creation, which for us is like waking up from a nightmare in the most glorious life we have ever up to this point imagined. And that new creation does not just include us, it includes people from every tribe and language and people and nation who relate with one another in new creation in a way they never could have imagined in old creation. They're no longer slaves, they're no longer enemies, and they're no longer dead. They're no longer addicted, they're no longer separated, they're no longer self-deceived, they're no longer depressed. They're alive in Christ, and they have this new song that they're singing that never stops. Are you here, and you want to be delivered from false liturgies, from false songs? This song's for you. This song is for everyone who has experienced freedom and who is being delivered over from addiction, pornography, finding ultimate satisfaction in anything else but the living God. This is your song. This is the song of amazing grace. It's a song about being redeemed by Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, you are joining this song. This is the song of all those who at one point had lost hope. They had totally given up on themselves and others. Imagine being an amputee and losing a precious limb or losing your voice. Losing capacity to do your favorite job in the world, make your favorite art in the world, and all of a sudden, you wake up one day, and you have your limbs again, you have your voice again, you have your artistic talent again, you have your, you have your capacities again. Not only do you, are they restored, they're magnified a hundred times over. What would you do with those new legs? What would you do with that new talent? What would you do with everything being restored? You would run, and you would sing, and you would create, and it would be a new song, it would be a new day. Jesus has restored everybody. Jesus has restored their functions to rule and serve, to be creative together, to be powerful together. For, for, for countless millions and millions of people. And when we come together on Sunday, we are singing that new song. We are singing as those who have been redeemed and restored. And there's a choir that we're joining, a massive choir. We can't exactly hear it with our physical ears, but let us hear it with the ears of our spiritual imagination. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders 
the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, remember both visible and invisible, every part of creation that God is ruling heaven and earth, visible and invisible, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Can you imagine the creativity of this song? You know, one of my favorite weddings to go to was Aaron Nicole Song's wedding. And I tell you, one of the things I loved about the reception was seriously the music. Aaron's brother-in-law, Terrence, I hope this is okay that I'm mentioning this, is an amazing DJ. He is the most incredible DJ I've ever heard. Not that I go to all these EDM parties, but... <laughs> um, but it was a crazy, amazing mix of genres. Bollywood and hip-hop, and I mean, what were the other genres, Aaron? I, pop. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of breakdance, and I saw this man breakdance. Maybe a deacon, and I might be a priest. Listen. <laughs> Terrence had the skill of taking all these genres and combining them together creatively without creating chaos. See, it was a joyful mix. It was an international mix. It was a beautiful mix. It brought people joy. It got people on the dance floor. Not that it's hard for you to do that. What Terrence showed me was just a little picture of what Jesus Christ does with all the music and creativity and songs on earth and in heaven. This song, this new song, is synthesizing music from every tribe, language, people, and nation. It's harmonizing the voices of living creatures, angels, millions of human beings. It's as if everyone is an instrument with every muscle of their bodies like a tout instrument of praise that cannot help but join with every fiber of its being this new song, which no one has ever heard before, but they will sing forever. Jesus Christ is receiving from the nations power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Can you imagine every neighborhood of Chicago praising Jesus in this way? With every culture and people contributing meaningfully to that song of praise without any voice being drowned out, without chaos being created. Can you imagine if the sound of Chicago was this new song? What a new song that would be. When we fill this kiva with the liturgy of heaven, we're looking forward to the day when that will happen, and we're showing Chicago its future. When we plant churches all over the city, which is our vision to do in the Lord's timing, we are joining with heaven 
We are letting all the neighborhoods of Chicago see the liturgy of heaven. When we come here on Sundays and confess our sins, look up, bow down, and sing a new song, we are experiencing our future. The future is brought into the present, and it is the very opposite of boring. Can you imagine the day when people will gather in our city, not in conflict, not in worship of money, sex, or power, but in worship of the living God? Can you imagine looking up, bowing down, and singing a new song to the glory of God in Chicago with all those who have said yes to Jesus? When we gather here, we're bringing that future into the present. It's right and good that as we do, creativity flows out from our church. It's right and good that, that we will see new songs, new works of art, new ministers raised up, new leaders raised up, all kinds of ministries to all kinds of people be raised up as we bow down to the living God, as we worship him in his beauty and glory. It's not shutting down creativity, it's opening up creativity. So come to the living God. And as you do, I want to read from the can I have your bullets in here? I want to read from our collect today. I invite you to stand as those who've been made alive in Christ. Stand as citizens of heaven. Stand as those who would say yes to Jesus. And let me pray again the collect of the day. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is seated on the throne, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.